Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How you doing today, Carol? Hey, what's up? How much has been a great week here? It is April 25th. 1997, seven heaven. You love to sing so much. Yeah. It's you, funny. You don't like to listen to it, though. I do. I remember when moderation. You, I remember when you it's told just, me that, you, that I couldn't be a singer. I didn't mean it, okay? You said, you said that I was t- terrible. <gasps> I never said that. He just he he was talking about like auditioning to sing in some club in like you know California, and I'm like, uh, welcome to the hotel, maybe California. But you do have a very nice voice. What a lovely. Um, but you You can't follow the money to Orange County with the singing. You know who does love me? I do love us. Roland Denzel loves best name I've ever heard. I love it. He's written us before. We don't always read. Letters. Uh, sorry, guys. Sometimes, well, I mean, sometimes we we do, and sometimes we sometimes just we do, and sometimes we are, don't. We we read them ourselves. We just yes. don't always share them. Correct. And sometimes we suck about responding right away, but we yeah. we we do read them. Carol's in charge of that, so when she says, we, yeah, she reads herself. Shh, they don't uh, need to know our business. Anyway, so uh, Roland uh, says that uh, we really cracked him up this week. And then he didn't know that that SNL commercial that I that I talked about, the Sam Waterston robot insurance commercial, old glory, that that existed. But uh, uh, catch it on uh, Comedy Central on reruns or whatever. Yeah, I didn't know either, Roland. And uh, it's funny. It was uh, a revelation to Carol. Yeah. I think there's some tapes, VHS tapes you can get out there. The best of Saturday Night Live might be on that. Best of Saturday Night Live commercials. Another good one is uh, Roseanne was on there one time, and it's hilarious talking about um, this dude. She was uh, an operator for like a credit, I think a credit card line, like a customer service credit card line. And Phil Hartman is the other guy, and he like the the customer. You know, he's talking about like. Uh, I lost all my credit cards and everything. And she goes, yeah, so this guy calls up. <laughs> He's all like, I've seen this one. Yeah. <laughs> He's all like, oh, help me. I don't have my credit cards. Woo-hoo. Like, uh, she uh, expressed frustration. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's all professional and she's telling things how it really is. It's a very funny commercial. Right. What's not funny, though, is uh, you remember uh, Jean Benet Ramsey. Yeah. Murdered six year old. Mm-hmm. Um this headline says Ramsey's two world. We did not do it. I feel like uh the Ramseys are like Richard Kimball in the fugitive okay. and Harrison Ford. And the rest of the world is Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> we did not kill our daughter. We don't care. You know how Tommy Lee Jones says that in the movie? Yeah. I don't care. Kinda. But he says it more like Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> but, you know, I, it's a Tommy Lee Jones tie-in to the, the movie today. It's like, <laughs> it is? Yeah. yeah. The the WOW movie. I ran out of patience a long time ago. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Ramses say they didn't do it. They didn't kill her. 
slain. Do you think they killed her? I don't know. I mean, there, it seems weird. It, I don't know. Someone close to that family killed her. Right. The parents of Jean Benet Ramsey denied Thursday that they murdered their daughter. Okay. And pledged to track down the killer of the six year old beauty pageant pageant contestant. That's so sad. Don't you think that it's kind of kind of creepy to refer to the six year old as the beauty pageant contestant? Yeah. How about just child? Yeah. Like I mean, was she famous? No, not until she got killed. So I did yeah. not kill my daughter, Jean Benet, said John Ramsey, fifty three, a wealthy businessman. <laughs> They just make him sound like a villain. <laughs> John Benet and I had a very close relationship, and I will miss her dearly for the rest of my life. Patricia Ramsey, 40, uh, called Patsy by her friends and family, was equally emphatic. I did not kill John Benet, she said tearfully. I did Why not are really you even, laughing? Because it's just the way this article is written is weird. Uh, I did not have anything to do with it. I loved this child with my whole heart. Not not your child, but this child. Mm, I don't know about that. Family spokesperson and police have given the account of the girl's disappearance. December 26th, we all remember, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, there was a note or whatever, $118,000 for a daughter's safe return. And I'm not going to read about the grisly details of how they found her and everything. But Yeah, please. Needless to say, not a good situation. Definitely. That's very sad. What do you think? Who do you think did it? I don't know. I think her brother did. Why? I don't know. Just because throwing family members under the bus with wild speculation is what I, what I do. But, um, I mean, like, I don't know. Her parents probably didn't do it, but you're right. It is kind of weird for her mom to not call her my child and stay instead the child or whatever i don't even really honestly i don't even really want to get into it i mean i just i just read it because it's news you know it's a very sad uh, situation but like we could go into the circumstances of the crime and and all the speculation and reasons why we think they did or didn't do it but it's too sad of a story for the show. Yeah, we should we should pay more attention to the fictionally sad and scary story that we <laughs> watched. Last yeah, night. oh yeah, people melting and everything. <laughs> but before we do that, Carol, mm-hmm. I came across something. Uh, oh no! On the World Wide Web, I don't like it when you start out like that. Somebody wrote an article mm-hmm. on the World Wide Web. I'm not going to tell you who. Name's Steve. Okay. No last name. But this article is entitled, How to Spank Your Wife. What the fuck? A Christian Domestic Discipline Primer. What? Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the fundamental features of a domestic discipline marriage, which apparently is something that exists, is that husbands are responsible for setting rules and guidelines and delivering correction if those rules are broken. There are a variety of punishments that can be used with within a CDD or DD marriage. I guess that's Christian domestic discipline or domestic discipline marriage. Time out. Writing assignments. Fuck. And more, which I I will talk about soon. Who who made up the rules? That's what I would like to know. Jesus. No. Um one of the most common consequences and most controversial is spanking. See, 
a husband spanking his wife seems like that could be cool. <laughs> Does it? But not like that. No, That's icky. Not this guidelines. Spankings are a common consequence in Christian domestic discipline marriages because they work. Spankings are intense enough to serve as a major deterrent, yet cause no lasting damage. They are significant enough to get the point through while quick enough to put the issue to rest quickly. Oh, yeah. Spank me and see how quickly that's put to rest. (laughs) Uh, Why write this? Good question. Very good question. One of the interesting things I've noticed since starting writing is the sheer volume of incoming traffic from people, I guess web traffic is what they call it, from people searching for advice on how to deliver a spanking. How, how do you need help with that? That's not why, that's not why they're searching for spanking. And right. Seriously, though, like, do you need to be explained how to smack somebody in the butt? I don't understand that. Every couple is different, and as you progress in your domestic discipline marriage, you will figure out what works best for you. This post is intended to serve as a starting point to help you along your journey. So a domestic discipline marriage, doesn't that sound more like like BDSM or something? Like, like, I don't uh, even know um, what that means. No? BDSM, do you? Do you know what it know. means? I, I don't know what it stands for, but like, you know, like bondage. It stands and, for, actually, I don't know what it stands for. BDSM. Bondage. Sadomasochism is the SM. It's, okay. Well, it's just like, you know, when somebody's like, you know, in charge of the other one in a sex way. Basic dominant sadomasochism. There you go. I don't know. But it seems like that's what this is. Yeah. I get, well, no, it's not though. With a different bow on it. It has, uh, I don't know, it's creepy, but it has a lot of control aspects to it. Yeah. Once you have determined, so how to spank your wife. So okay. we're going to okay. learn now. Let's, let's find out. Before the spanking. Once you have determined that your wife has earned a spanking. What the fuck? The most important task at Tell hand me how is, to earn a spanking. I is don't know. getting both of you in the proper mindsets. I don't think you're in the proper mindset. <laughs> you know? I really don't think so. Your goal is to be calm, purposeful, and resolved. You should never deliver a spanking when you are angry or upset. Okay. At the same time, once you've decided that a spanking is due... It is important that you do not allow yourself to be talked out of it. Your goal for your wife is that she be reflective, remorseful, and surrendered during the punishment. What the fuck? Surrendered. Surrendered, Dorothy. I I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. In the heat of the moment initially, after a rule is broken, neither of you are likely to be in the right state of mind. You're likely to be annoyed, angry, or upset. She is likely to be argumentative and quarrelsome. And on her period, too, right? <laughs> Holy fuck. Quarrelsome. An effective way to allow both of you to get in the right state of mind is beginning the session with a brief timeout. The timeout should occur in the same location where the spanking will occur. I recommend your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, that's where most spankings take place. Though. Right. Unless there is some logistical reason that makes this impossible. Well, you know, we're in the middle of the church picnic, right. so. <laughs> your bedroom is... Uh, is uh, a high traffic area <laughs> in our house. Oh, this dude does, does this. Of course he does. In our house, this those. means that before a spanking punishment, my wife will go stand facing the corner. Are you fucking kidding? In me? our bedroom to quietly reflect on whatever rules she broke while I spend time in prayer and preparation. 
After about 10 minutes has passed, I will calmly ask her to explain to me why she is about to be punished. If I receive a snarky, argumentative, or dismissive response, I'll leave her there for another 10 minutes to try again. But in most cases, that first 10 minutes is plenty of time to get attitudes in check and allow us to be in the right state of mind. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is awful. Like, are these women, like, they, they can't be, like, married to these guys on purpose. Like, <laughs> something, I accidentally married this guy. Something bad happened in their life to she bring them to this point. tripped and fell into a church. <laughs> At this point, retrieve your wife from the corner and walk her over to where the spanking will occur. Prior to the spanking, you should bare her bottom, lifting up her skirt or lowering her pants, depending on what she is wearing. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for the explanation on how to bare her bottom. Then lowering her panties so her bottom is completely bare. This is like, this is is Christian, like, fucking uh, sexiness, isn't it? I don't. I don't know. I don't know women what's are, happening. Are, women in this, these relationships are breaking rules on purpose, right? Next, guide her into position for the spanking. We normally use the classic over the knee position. Of course, where you I do. will sit on the edge of the bed or in a chair and then drape her over my lap. This position is highly recommended as it places your wife's behind in the perfect position, while also allowing you to keep her in position once the spanking begins. I can think of another position to put you in. <laughs> At this point, your wife, your wife is in position with her bottom bare to take advantage of this opportunity to deliver a brief lecture about the importance of whatever rule was broken. So while she's humiliated and right? bent over in front of you, now you're going to lecture her. Yeah, tell her ass why she did uh, and why the forthcoming punishment is deserved. Once you are satisfied that your point has been made, the spanking begins. God. Starting the spanking. Everyone is different and has a different level of pain tolerance. Some women can hardly stand a few slaps in the bottom. See, this guy's got some, some, some experience. This is awful. Whereas others require a firm paddling to get the point across. A firm paddling, like with a fucking paddle, like are you a maniac? Like, oh! Over time, you will develop a sense of whatever is effective with your own wife. But until that point, I recommend a progressive hand spanking that gradually increases in intensity. Begin by striking your wife's butt with your hand, using about one-fourth of your strength. Alternate cheeks, delivering a smack every couple seconds. I wish you could see Carol's face. Gradually increase the intensity until you reach a point where your wife is reacting to each swat. Wow. Oh, after a few minutes, stop and take stock of the situation. <laughs> I don't think anyone in the, this kind of marriage has ever taken stock of the situation. <laughs> like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Depending on your wife's pain tolerance, it might be time to end the spanking. Or it might be time to grab an implement like a hairbrush or a wooden spoon to continue the spanking with more intensity. This guy's an ass. Your goal is to continue spanking until you are confident that the lesson has been learned and that the behavior is unlikely to repeat itself. Aftercare, Carol. Oh my God. Once you are satisfied that the spanking has been effective, you should transition from disciplinarian mode to comforter mode. Just drape yourself over her like a blanket. 
cuddle with your wife. Use affirming words. Yeah, after you've treated her like a child and humiliated her and hurt her, then build her back up. This is basically a primer on how to be an abusive husband. Right, like this is like, you know, brainwashing 101. Like tear somebody down to build them back up the way you want them to be. Oh. Who, who, what, what church does this guy go to? I don't know. The, uh, I wish I could think of a funny shit. Like, I, I want to find out and I want to go there and I want to, like, save all the women. Like, right. just get a van. The ch- Church of Steve Francis of. <laughs> Steve. Not Steve Francis. The Church of Francis of Assisi's. There you go. I got one. Um. Once you are satisfied that both of you are back in your normal mindset, gently remind her that you don't expect her to break that rule again and that all is forgiven and mean it. Then underneath it says about Steve. (laughs) I don't think I want to know about Steve. (laughs) I do. I wonder where he lives. Oh, my God. Oh, there's a comment from Dave. Okay. Dave says... This is generally how I feel about spanking my wife. Although between the end of the spanking and the beginning of the comforting, I like to give her a good hard... A good hard what, Dave? (laughs) A good hard plowing. Is that what he said? (laughs) However, that may make her more willing to do things that will give her disciplinary action. And I only use the flat of my hand, no paddles. I think Dave is making fun of Steve. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that Dave is making fun of Steve in this situation. I hope so. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, that is an article that I read. (laughs) Where did you find this? I found it on a, uh, a website on the World Wide Web. You know what I think? I think it's some weird cult where, like, they have multiple spouses, like, you know, they're polygamists or whatever, because he was talking about, depending on your wife and, you know, like... Your wives. Right. Like, he's he's obviously spanked more than one woman in his life. You think so? You don't? He's an expert spanker. Right. Maybe he's trying to start a new nation. (laughs) As-salamu alaykum. I'm telling you. (laughs) That is one fucked up situation. Oh, my dear Lord. And all these poor women. I mean, I really hope that it's only like, you know, like five people that are going into this organization or whatever. I mean, yeah, spanking, like you said, can be fun, but not in the... I mean, writing assignments. What kind of fucking writing assignments are you giving your wife? I mean, it's awful. Stand in the corner and stare at the wall and think about what you did, like like they're a fucking child. Yeah, why would you treat a grown adult like that? Why would you want your partner to be so broken that they assent to that? Right? Ugh. Like, how could you ever have a real partnership? Well, obviously they don't. I mean, <clears throat> he's one of those people that thinks because the guys in in. Some Christian faiths, some of them believe that, you know, the guy's got to be, like, in charge of everything. He thinks that also means he's got to just treat them like children. I wonder if they have children. I hope not. Steve and his, and his wife. Steve and his wife, uh, sore bottom. 
I hope not. I'll tell you this. One day we might get married, Carol, even though originally you said it would never happen. Remember? <laughs> Shut up. Uh-huh. Um, and if we do, I want you to prepare yourself for some spankings. <laughs> Only if they come with a good hard plowing, now. <laughs> I think Dave saved that. Give Dave the save there. Right. But you know who didn't get saved? Many residents of Los Angeles, Carol. Right. Because we saw Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones. We saw we saw Tommy Lee Jones. Yep, that's a pretty good Tommy Lee Jones, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's kind of you know yeah. We saw it also him. sounds like Elvis. What? The devil in the sky okay, sorry. I'm sorry. I opened that can of worms, guys. You know that you know like Elvis. Look like an angel. Uh huh. Walk like an angel. Okay, that's a good Elvis. Anyway, so. Every time I do an impersonation, I say it's a good impersonation. You do. You're very, uh, like, self-affirming when it I'm, comes to your I'm very good at doing impersonations of presidents. Like, here, here's one. <clears throat> I'm Franklin Pierce, 14th president of the United States. He sounded just like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we saw Volcano. I enjoyed this movie more the first time I saw it when it was called Dante's Peak. What do you think? Um, I mean, they're similar for sure. They both involve volcanoes blowing up. Yeah, but like Dante's Peak happens in a small town on a mountain, whereas this happens in Los Angeles. I mean, that makes it a little more, I think, fantastical. Yes, Dante. I was going to say Dante's Peak is realistic ish. Yeah, realistic ish. I mean, they still get too close to the lava in that movie, right? But this is fucking, uh, I don't know, this is like disaster pornography. There's like so many times that people should just be on fire, but they're not. <laughs> they're, they're, they're surrounded by molten lava, which would literally like heat the air. Mm. And it's like a foot away from them, they're like, oh, we're fine. Hey, this lava is completely surrounding our car that I'm standing on top of. I'll just jump. We're good. That that worked out for him. It doesn't work out later in the movie for no. somebody else. It doesn't work out for Francis Stan. McDormand's yeah. uh, husband in Fargo. Remember, he was, yeah. he was her husband yeah. in Fargo. Same guy. Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he's melting into fucking lava. He saves another guy, though. Yeah. So good for him. It's pretty horrific. So this is what I don't like about this okay. movie. There's I don't care about any of these people. In Shame on you. In <laughs> you know, shame on the movie. In Dante's Peak, and I don't want to just like continue to harp on Dante's Peak, but I mean the the comparison needs to be made. In Dante's Peak, at least we kinda we got to know the people and everything, got to know these characters. That Steve character, for instance, mm-hmm. perfect example. He's got a couple scenes. He's basically just, no, nah, I'm going to do my subway. It's Los Angeles, and we rely on a subway system. For some, Stan, you mean? For some reason, whatever his name was. Sure. I don't even remember his name. That's part of the problem. But anyway, so I think it's supposed to be like a redeeming character arc or like a, a, this is like a, the captain going down the ship kind of yeah. moment. Where he saves the conductor. He feels like he put them in harm's he way. He did, yeah. And 
So he needs to save them, and he sacrifices himself to do them. Yes. But that's not conveyed very well. And because of that, you don't get a huge emotional payoff from it. I guess. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I cried. Okay. Well, I guess that's you. Not me, though. And, like, he was praying as he's walking and his feet are melting and stuff. Right, like, right. I mean, it was there was a lot of touchingness there. The cold can do that, too. There was a, a thing I read in a book Gross. one time that was horrifying that I've never forgotten that I'll tell you, all of you right now. Oh, no. I don't know if I want to hear it. Like, I'm tired of horrifying shit. This guy, they they one of the first expeditions they took to, I think, the South Pole, one of the party, one of the members of the party was, like, um complaining because uh like like a lot of water or something had gotten in his shoes but it wasn't water it was his own feet <laughs> frozen and then like basically like melted i'm gonna puke off i'm going to puke why would you tell me that oh my god Sorry. jesus yeah so not uh not a safe thing to do to go to the south pole don't do that <laughs> Not without Adidas. Adidas is our sponsor this week. <laughs> Wear your Adidas and uh, then your feet won't melt. Um, anyway, so there was some product placement in here. Did you notice that? Was there? Oh, yeah. They go because they're so a lot of people have to get injured and they, they, they go, have to go to Cedar sinai Hospital, which is overrun. So there's people in the parking lot and everything. Tommy Lee Jones's kid who is, I think her name's Gabby Hoffman or something like that. She was in that movie where she was a little girl and then she became Demi Moore, remember? Oh, yeah. I knew she looked familiar. I can't remember what that movie was called. but Now and Then. Yeah. Anyway, so they, uh, she's his daughter, and she ends up at Cedar sinai She gets burned, and she shouldn't be in the middle of a disaster area. She should have been dead, not just burned. Right. But they, they move the kids over to... The mall, and they go to the Hard Rock Cafe. And I remember at one point I was thinking, like, um, uh, they were talking about something about the disaster or something like that. It's like, uh, well, it's you know, it's it's easy to feel good here, you know, amongst all the delicious food at the Hard <laughs> Rock Cafe, right? It was just like it seemed very much like a product placement. That's funny, but I yeah. didn't really register that at the time, but. But yeah, so there's a volcano underneath Los Angeles, apparently. Um, yeah, like it's not a vol- like it's a fo- it wasn't there before. What are you talking about? It it, there was before. an earthquake. This is a floating volcano. Just there like, was. Oh, we're gonna move over here now. There also like there's an earth there's a volcano in like you know uh, Yosemite National Park yeah, or something. That's your favorite thing to talk about in the world. But I'm saying, like, that's a volcano that we know of that's there. This is new. It's not like there was already a volcano there. It happens from the earthquake because no, the no, earth no, cracked no, open. No, no, Yeah. No. Uh-huh. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Are you going to spank me? <laughs> you're breaking the rules. Stand in the corner and think about it. And I'll bear your bottom. Um, so the volcano was there all the time. They didn't know it was there. The I think the implication is that like digging around in there and stuff to make these the subway like helped you know 
bring it out or whatever. But the volcano was there. The earthquake kind of activated or the volcano becoming active, um, you know, caused the earthquake or whatever. But it didn't form a brand new volcano. It was always there. It was just under the surface. They didn't know it was there. The epicenter of the earthquake was 66 miles away. Yeah. That seems weird if, if that was. So then the earthquake helped open it up. Okay. All right. But it was always there. They just didn't know it'd become active. At the beginning of the movie, they have this print that goes across the screen where it just says, like, hey, the Office of Emergency Management is a thing that exists, and <laughs> um, they can control the entire city if there's a big emergency, like a heretofore unknown volcano in Los Angeles. And that just, it's smacked of a producer's note. Mm-hmm. That they made this movie, and a producer was like, oh, people are going to be like, Hey, how come Tommy Lee Jones is in charge now? Where, where's the mayor? Where's <laughs> where's the where's the National Guard? You know, like and some producers yeah. said that, and they were like, slap something at the beginning because everyone's dumb. Well, I don't think people are dumb for not knowing stuff, and like I didn't know about the Office of Emergency Management. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think I didn't really either, and I don't think people are dumb if they don't know about it. But I think the movie gives us the information we need. That we're not going to be sitting there thinking like, how come Tommy Lee Jones is in charge? You know what I mean? Like, if that print hadn't been at the beginning, would you have thought that stuff? No. See, so I think it's... It was obvious. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a producer thinking people aren't going to pick up on that stuff. I mean, I guess. Um, I don't know. Okay, so the movie, though, started... It started almost immediately. Like... (laughs) Shut up! Is that one of those movies that... (laughs) The movie rolls and that's just a black screen for about thirty minutes, just to get you in the in the movie watching mindset. Starts right away. You don't even get a chance. Uh, no, the disaster shit starts right away. Yeah. yeah, the whole movie's a disaster. You're right about that. We don't spend much time meeting the characters, and I that's think part of the problem complaint. too is that there's so many. Yeah, too many characters. Because it's a big city. It's like in Dante's Peak, it was a small town. There was only a handful of people that were going to be able to care about. Right. In this movie, it's a big city and there's a lot of people that we're going to interact with throughout the movie. But unless the movie's going to be five hours long, you don't get to know him. We see the dude from Northern Exposure for five minutes and his character has no point in the movie at all. Yeah. What was the purpose of that? That whole interact that couple? Like I guess just so we could get to know a little bit more about the the Asian doctor that's saving people's lives. I guess. So they want like, us to we, care more about her, I guess. Do we need to know that she's married to some materialistic asshole Engaged. that she doesn't really love? Yeah. I guess. I At know. one point he's like, uh what are you doing down there helping those people? And he puts uh people in quotation marks with his voice. Yeah. Because they're all poor, right? So they're they're meaningless. He doesn't want her working at Cedar Sinai, right? Or is yeah. it the other hospital? Okay, yeah. He doesn't want her working at Cedar Sinai. Works wants her. He wants her working where she can fucking you know uh, treat tennis elbow. He yeah. says, not gunshot wounds. I want you working with the animals. He, uh, you know, he he doesn't care if like what she does matters. This is a guy that's used the n word in his private life. I'm sure. But yet he's marrying an Asian woman. Yeah. Well, you know, he's got a fetish. <laughs> Probably. Um, 
But yeah, it's, so he builds this giant high rise, and I guess it's just to connect the fact that we know who owns the building. Like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> oh, it's his building that they knocked down. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's supposed to be like a big comeuppance for him or something. Uh huh. Yeah, but he's going to get millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. I didn't make that connection at all. So I'm glad that we watch movies together because you pick up on stuff that I just don't. Yeah, stuff that the movie. Flat out tells you, yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> My brain was focusing on important shit, okay? <laughs> yeah, like Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche. So that's the woman. Oh, that's yeah. the geologist. Okay. The uh, the love interest in the movie. Really? Like, that does the not. One that, the one that's, apparently they have some quarrelsome relationship that doesn't exist. They, they had it off screen, I guess. I don't know. At the end of the movie, she's like, I would have done this and, and everything, and I would have been wrong. You know, I'm glad we listened to you. And and it's like, where was the point where she was arguing for something else? I told you in the beginning of the movie they were arguing. Yeah, for a second. And her friend was like, oh, you like him. They or were he arguing, likes you. And then she's were, like, oh, you like him too. She said, she said something about there being lava underneath Los Angeles. And he was like, yeah, lava, right. I mean, I saw it, but whatever. Yeah, that was so weird. Why was his head so far up his ass? Yeah, he was the one that thought it was. He was the one that was skeptical that it wasn't steam. So it's like seven utility workers get fucking melted, mm-hmm. in, you know, by the uh, the the subway tunnel, and he's they're like it's steam, and he was like it's not fucking steam, and he didn't believe it at all. So he went down there, experienced it with his buddy, the guy, uh, what's his name, Joey from uh, while you were sleeping. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Joey Butterfuco. No, that's somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy that fucked that teenager, Amy Fisher. Oh. And then Amy Fisher went and shot his wife. What? The, wow. Okay. That's another story for another day. Yeah. Okay. It was, that's a real life thing that happened like three years ago or something. Okay. Anyway, so they made a movie about it. Melissa Milano was in it. Um,. So anyway, uh, so then he he gets out of there, right? And she's like, oh, maybe it's lava. And he was like, ah, fuck you, lava. Like, then all of a sudden, she's being skeptical and saying, like, oh, it's not steam either. And he's like, ah, it's steam. Come on. But he saw the lava coming down the tunnel. Him and his friend ran and shut a door on it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a fucking... All these movies, they treat the lava like it's a fucking killer. (laughs) You can't get me. Right. It's, Later, it's going to melt a fucking bus, but it can't get through that door. And and it does. It melts a bus. It melts a fire truck. Or it takes the fire truck off in its, like, flow yeah, or whatever. Right. But they stop it with, like, a few feet of concrete. Yeah. That L- doesn't make sense. It easily be stopped with a few feet of concrete. Does it make sense? No. No. Well, then later they need a building to stop it, so. Right. Whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. It's a fucking game of Tetris. It's an interesting, interesting premise. Yeah, but that's, yeah, a a volcano in the middle of Los Angeles. That's an interesting premise. And it's coming out of the tar pit. Yeah, the La Brea tar pit. That's where the lava starts to come out of first. Mm -hmm. Do you think that would, I think that might, would be accurate. Like, does the tar pit open up into anything? Like, (laughs) Like it's a transformer? No, I'm just like, I'm just wondering if it, like, where does the pit lead to? Where does it end? 
Why are you laughing at me? Orange County. That's he's where it leads to. He's making to the money. <laughs> That's where the money is, Carol. You got to swim down the tarpon. <laughs> Good luck. Okay. Um, no, it comes up from the the like the under the surface of the earth. Right. The, That's where the, lava the is. Tar kind of bubbles up from there. So there you go. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we could figure that out. But one of the things that, that, that does not work for this movie is there's too many there's too many ideas. Yeah. There's too many things they try to shoehorn into this movie. Because there's an environmental aspect to the movie. Where we shouldn't be fucking around underneath the ground because it's a seismically active place and everything. So there's that. Mm-hmm. There's racism for some reason. People are looting, and then there's like black. Because it's pe- Los Angeles. And there's like black people that are like, "Hey, uh, police officers, we need help." And they're like, "Well, we're going to arrest you." And and you know, like so, there's there's all this like a racism aspect to it that the movie doesn't need. Well, and it was it was fine, but it was glossed over. Like, I, I'm not. I don't know if it needed it or not, but it needed it to be done either not at all or bigger. Yeah. Because this guy comes up and asks for help because his neighborhood, you know, they, they need help from the earthquake and stuff. And the cops are like, look, the white people are burning alive, so fuck you. Basically. And the one guy's like, I'm going to take you down to the station and, like, putting handcuffs on him. And it's like, there's there's lava coming out right there. What are you doing? Yeah, it seems to me, like, in disaster situations like this, people forget about their racism for a little while. You would think. Because their self-preservation instinct kicks in more. But then eventually they just uncuff him and then he helps them because they're going to stop the lava from getting to his neighborhood. Right. And then at the very end, everybody's covered in ash and somebody comments about how everybody looks the same. Yeah. And that's the entirety of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not it's not handled well. And it's at the end of the day, this movie exists to fucking cover Los Angeles in lava. Yeah. And we don't need any heavy-handed fucking messages in this movie. That's not... This is not the kind of movie to address those topics. And if you're going to do it... I mean, or you could do it, but focus the movie entirely on that. Hey, during a disaster, guess what? Poor people and and minorities and stuff like that get fucked over. Yeah. You know, like, because the the rich and the uh, powerful are prioritized. So focus it on that, the, that kind of dichotomy, if you want to actually make a point about that. But don't lazily, you know, write a few lines and be like, pat yourself on the back. I'm going to get a Humanitas Award. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the movie? Oh, the, Tommy Lee Jones playing the same character he does in The Fugitive, where he's basically just like, I'm going to stand here and we're going to tell you exactly what we need to do and how we're going to, you know, like that's basically all he did. So That's logistics. Not true. He 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 was humanized because he had a daughter and he was taking care of his daughter and he was going through a divorce and you know all that stuff. Don Cheadle was my favorite part of it. That's Who's the, that? That's the black guy that uh, wants his job. Okay, yeah, he's funny. He I was liked very him. funny, and I haven't seen him in anything else. Yeah, I don't know if this is his first movie or not, but this is my first experience with him. Yeah, he's like. Uh, you know I just sleep on your desk. Right. That was funny. What was your favorite part of the movie? Hmm. You know what my real favorite part of the movie was? The credits. 
the end. I don't know. I, I Where kinda, it said Volcano will be back. <laughs> I kind of liked um, the chemistry between Tommy Lee Jones and that chick. Anne Heche. Yeah. Um, or Anne Heche. Yeah. Even though nothing really happens with it, though. No. They say they like each other or whatever, but they nothing. Yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't smooch. No. So it doesn't really pay off. Do you think there's a, a scene on the cutting room floor where they smooch? Probably. The lava ends up just going through fucking subway tubes, which I guess whatever. But I mean, I think the coolest scene in the movie was the guy saving the train conductor dude. That was the and coolest melting. scene? Yeah. I think that was the hottest scene. Because <laughs> he fucking melted. He melted like the Wicked Witch of the East or West or whichever one melted. That's and, what it looked like. That's what it reminded me. And of. while he was melting, <laughs> while he was melting, he had the strength and presence of mind to throw the guy. Yeah, and then just shout the out lava. his social security number and be like, "Continue collecting my pension. <laughs> I'm owed it." I feel like in reality, if you jumped into a thing of lava <laughs> holding a person, you would drop them. Like, you wouldn't save them because you would be panicking and your instincts would take over. And you Don't you think that, like, his instinct was to throw the dude, though, right? Yeah. God, that guy did not. I mean, like, <laughs> it was almost like a comedy comedy shot, though. Like, it should have been, like, Michael Jordan. Because <laughs> you know, that's what he's trying to do. Fucking just leap, but the dude has no hops at all. Should have used the pump, you know, the the pump, the shoe pump, you know, you pump up the shoe. Right. Should have got his pumps, his Nike pumps or whatever the fuck. So Tommy Lee Jones and his daughter are driving to try to get to his office because of the disaster. Right, because he wants to control things. The, like his wife. Respect his wife. That's why they got divorced. The tar pits start, you know, exploding. There's like fireballs, lava bombs. They call them. Or yeah. Whatever. And um, her, his daughter. He just leaves her in the car. Just wait here. You'll be fine. Yeah, you're safe here. If you get scared, honk the horn. Right. Like she was at least smart enough when she saw the lava coming towards the car to not just sit there and honk the horn. Mm-hmm. Like that would have. Been stupid. Let me sit here while I burn to death, Dad. Right. Ugh. He is an idiot. Yep. I didn't really like the movie, if you can't tell. <laughs> I don't like these kind of movies, though. Yeah. I don't like disaster movies. I don't know. I think I liked it a little. Yeah? I think so. Do you? <laughs> I'm not sure. You like, you, you connect with the human elements of these movies in a way that I just don't or can't. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I'm going to be a social worker, though, so I guess it makes sense. Well, yeah, I think most of it is, like, most of the human element of movies like this is primal, survivalistic. And I just, that doesn't interest me. Hmm. Because I know what people's primal and survivalistic instincts are, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't really feel connected to humanity watching these movies because there aren't, there's not a whole lot of humanity in most of these movies. Okay. And it doesn't like it, it doesn't matter what like the Poseidon Adventure or fucking Towering Inferno, any of that shit. All those disaster movies. Never saw either of those, but sure. The Poseidon Adventure or cruise ship uh, flips over, and they have to climb from the bottom, which is the top of the ship, to the bottom, which is not the top, right? To escape. 
Sounds awful. Shelly Winters is in it. Uh, and then The Towering Inferno is, I think, um, Steve McQueen or whatever. It's like it's a building. It's a building on fire. Okay. It's a high, big, high-rise building. Like Think of like the World Trade Center on fire. Okay. And how are you going to fucking get down? You can't jump out. Right. I mean, I guess some people would, but yeah. horrifying. Anyway, so that's a creepy thought, the World Trade Center on fire. Do you think it would have worked, though, what they did? They they put up, like, cement roadblocks to trap the lava and then poured water on it. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> it seems plausible. Yeah. If you cool off the lava and then it hardens, I would think it would just kind of stop itself. Yeah, it would damn itself. That makes sense. But then it was flowing towards uh, Cedar Sinai under the ground, and so then they had to like bring down the building to just stop it there. There was a second killer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they had a, they, it was a controlled demolition of uh, this building. Which they said would take days to plan. He's like, you got 20 minutes. Oh, okay, well, we can do it in 20 minutes, too. But because it was, you know, this movie, it had to work. And then it almost crushed his daughter. Yeah. Somehow they ended up under a pile of rock, but they were fine. Yeah. It's just also weird. The entire building fell on them, but they were okay. Yeah, there was a lot of unbelievable stuff in this movie. Yes. And that's another thing. That, 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 to me, like I said, I liked the thing I liked about Dante's Peak is we got to meet everybody, and you kind of got emotionally invested in everyone. And then they did a really good job building a fake town and then just fucking that town up. And it was kind of joyful to watch. From a like a creative standpoint, in this one, it's like there's no loving detail to yeah. the neighborhoods and stuff like that. It's just like general shots of Los Angeles, and then you know, on a soundstage with fucking lava all around. It's just I don't know. It just didn't feel as, as didn't feel as as quaint or nice or realistic. I got you. I, I see your point. But I wouldn't recommend seeing this movie. I would if you like this kind of movie. It was still, you know, somewhat enjoyable to watch, even though it's kind of ridiculous. The height of, and I didn't like this movie that much, but the height of this move, this kind of movie is Twister, and I don't think anybody will ever do one better. I love Twister. I, I think that's the best you can do with this with this genre of film. Okay. That's I'm not going to argue. Anyway, so uh, that is the episode. Kara, uh, why don't you uh, tell uh, Roland where he can write us at? Yes, everybody be like Roland and write us at latefee1994 at AOL.com. Check out our website at www.retrolatefee.com and share our tapes with your friends. All right, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.